Hello. Mm. Welcome to Infinite Cast, your podcast for the week. Uh, it is for the sun- week. <laughs> yeah, it's Sunday, September 19th. Uh, Molly and I are in the beautiful Congress Plaza Hotel in downtown Chicago, Illinois. Congress Plaza Hotel and Conference Center. And Conference Center. Uh, there was a wedding here yesterday. I saw some wedding people. Yeah, really good looking people, too. Yeah. Uh, we are at in Chicago. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's not often that you like you see a wedding and you look at it and you're like, wow, everyone like looks like, good. Looks you know, uh, we're here to see the Riot Festival. Yes, um, seeing some wonderful bands. We saw Andrew WK last night. Yeah, we partied hard. We partied hard. Uh, we saw Living Color. We saw the Smashing Pumpkins. The uh, but this is d- discourse for the music pod. Yeah, uh, you're not here for for our wonderful uh, <laughs> live music experiences. <laughs> Uh, you're here for Infinite Jest. You're here for Infinite Jest, as we are in the middle of a, a, a the mid book mega mix of uh, history and 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 stuff. Mid book, we're like barely a third of the way into this thing. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's still table setting. It, feel, it feels mid. It, fe- it feels like this section might be two hundred pages long. Okay, well. We will endure. Sure. Um, we might not go too long today, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see uh, what we can do. All right. Go. Like most young people genetically hardwired for a secret drug problem, Hal and Condenza also has severe compulsion issues around nicotine and sugar because smoking will simply kill you during drills. Only Bridget Boone, a steroided girl's 16 named Carol Spodek, and one or two of the other, uh, or one one of the or the other of the Vought twins are ma- masochistic <laughs> enough to do it. Though Teddy Shacked has been known to enjoy the occasional panatella, the nicotine craving Hal tries to mollify as best as he can by dipping Kodiak Wintergreen smokeless tobacco several times daily, spitting into either a cherished old childhood NASA glass or the empty can of Spiroutine high protein breakfast beverage that even now sits given a wide berth by all others, next to a small pile of the tennis balls, the table's kids don't have to squeeze as long as they're eating. Hal's more serious problem is with sucrose, the hope smoker's ever-beckoning siren, because he craves it always and awfully, Hal does, sugar, but finds now lately that any sugar infusion above the level of a 56-gram amino-pal high-energy bar now induces odd and unpleasant emotional states that don't do him one bit of good on court. Sitting here, preacher-hatted, with a mouthful of multi-layered baklava, <laughs> Hal knows perfectly well that Mario gets his fetish for cartridges about puppets and entracts and audiences from their late father. Himself, during his anti-confluential middle period, went through the subphase of being obsessed with the idea of audiences' relationships with various sorts of shows. Hal doesn't even want to think about the grim one about the carnival of eyeballs, which takes us to endnote 154, the anti-confluential Cage 3 free show QV Note 24 Supra. I'm pretty sure that's... uh, That refers back to the the filmography. Sure. But this one other short high-tech one uh, was called The Medusa versus the Odalisk and was a film of a fake stage production at Ford's Theater in the nation's capital of Wash, D.C. that, like all his audience-obsessed pieces, had cost in Condensa a real bundle in terms of human extras. The extras in this one are a well-dressed audience of guys in mutton chops and ladies with paper fans who fill the place from first row to the rear of the balconies boxes, and they're watching an incredibly violent little involuted playlet called the Medusa versus the Odalisk 
the relatively plotless plot of which is just that the mythic Medusa, snake-haired and armed with a sword and well-polished shield, is fighting to the death or petrification against Lodalise de Saint-Thérèse, a character out of old Quebecois mythology who was supposedly <laughs> so inhumanly gorgeous that anyone who looked at her turned instantly into a human-sized precious gem from admiration. A pretty natural foil for the Medusa, obviously. The Odalisk has only a nail file instead of a sword, but also has a well-wielded handheld makeup mirror, and she and the Medusa are basically rumbling for like 20 minutes, leaping around the ornate stage, trying to demap each other with blades and or deanimate each other with their respective reflectors, which each leaps around trying to position just right so that the other gets a glimpse of its own full frontal reflection and gets instantly petrified or gemified or whatever. God. So wait, was that, are we to take that that's one of his movies that is mostly a video of the audience watching something? Yes. So it's the audience watching, watching a movie or a play that is two people trying to catch each other in different reflective surfaces. Yeah. You can imagine the difficulty of filming such a thing. <laughs> in the cartridge, it's pretty clear from their milky pixel translucence and insubstantiality that they're holograms, but it's not clear what they're supposed to be on the level of the playlet, whether the audience is supposed to see slash not see them as ghosts or wraiths or real mythic entities or what but it's a ballsy fight scene up there on the stage having been intricately choreographed by an oriental guy himself rented from some commercial studio and put up in the hmh who ate like a bird and smiled very politely all the time and didn't have even a word to say to anybody it seemed except avril to whom the oriental choreographer had caught right off balletic and full of compelling little cornerings and near misses and reversals and the theater's audience is wrapped and clearly entertained to the gills because they keep spontaneously applauding as much maybe for the film's plays choreography as anything else, which would make it more like spontaneously meta applauding, Hal supposes, <laughs> because the whole fight scene has to be ingeniously choreographed so that both combatants have their respectively scaly and cream-complected backs, uh, which takes us to end note 155. The Medusa wears a kind of chainmail backless evening gown and Hellenic sandals, the Odalisk, a merry widow. Uh, back to the text. Uh, backs to the audience for obvious reasons, except as the shield and little mirror get whipped martially around and brandished at various strate strategic angles, certain members of the playlet's well-dressed audience eventually start catching disastrous glimpses of the combatants' fatal full frontal reflections and instantly get transformed into, like, ruby statues in their front row seats or get petrified and fall like embolized bats from the balconies boxes, etc. This movie sounds good as long as it is only 20 minutes long. <laughs> the cartridge goes on like this until there's nobody left in the Ford's theater seats animate enough to applaud the uh, nested narrative of the fight scene play. And it ends with the two aesthetic foils still rumbling like mad before an audience of very colored stone. The Medusa versus the Odalisk's own audience didn't think too much of the thing because the film audience never does get much of a decent full frontal look at what it is about the combatants that supposedly has such a melodramatic effect on the Rumble's live audience. And so the film's audience ends, ends up feeling teased and vaguely cheated. The thing had only a regional release and the cartridge rented like yesterday's newspapers and it's now next to impossible to find. <laughs> but that wasn't by any stretch of the imagination the James O. and Condensa film that audience hated the most. The most hated in Condensa film, a variable length one called The Joke, 
had only a very brief theatrical release and then only at the widely scattered last remains of the pre-interlaced public art film theaters in arty places like Cambridge, Massachusetts and Berkeley, California. And Interlace never considered it for Pulse Order re-release for obvious reasons. The art film theaters, marquees and posters and ads for The Thing were all required to say something like, The joke! You are strongly advised not to shell out money to see this film, <laughs> which art film obituaries, of course, thought was a cleverly ironic anti-ad joke. And so they'd shell out for little paper theater tickets and file in their sweater vests and tweeds and dirndls and tank up on espresso <laughs> at the concession <laughs> stand. What other dirndl to go to the movie? You know, I'm a female movie critic and I wear a dirndl. <laughs> a dirndl. <laughs> uh, tank up on espresso at the concession stand and find seats and sit down and make those little pre-movie leg and posture adjustments and look around with that sort of vacant intensity. And they'd figured the tri-lens Bolex H32 cameras one held by a tall, stooped old guy, and one complexly mounted on the huge head of the oddly forward-listing boy with what looked like a steel spike coming out of his thorax. <laughs> the big cameras down by the red-lit exits on either side of the screen, the patrons figured, were there for like an ad or an anti-ad or a behind-the-scenes metafilmic documentary or something. That is, until the lights went down and the film started up, and what was on the wide public screen was just a wide-angle, binoculated shot of this very art film theater's audience filing in with espressos and finding seats and sitting down and looking around and getting adjusted and saying knowledgeable little pre-movie things to their thick-lensed dates about what the don't-pay-to-see-this-ad and Bolex cameras probably signified artistically. I love saying knowledgeable little pre-movie things Me to too. my date. And settling in as the lights dimmed and facing the screen, i.e. now themselves, it turns out, the coolly excited smiles of highbrow entertainment expectation, smiles which the cameras and screens projection now revealed as just starting to drop from the faces of the audience as the audience saw row after row of itself staring back at it with less and less expectant and more and more blank and then puzzled and then eventually pissed off facial expressions. The joke's total running time was just exactly as long as there was even one cross-legged patron left in the theater to watch his own huge projected image gazing back down at him with a special distaste of a disgusted and ripped off feeling art film patron, which ended up being more than maybe 20 minutes only when there were critics or film academics in the seats who studied themselves, studying themselves, taking notes with endless fascination and finally left only when the espresso finally impelled them to the loo, at which point himself and Mario would have to frantically pack up cameras and lens cases and coaxials and run and totter like hell to catch the next cross-country flight from Cambridge to Berkeley or Berkeley to Cambridge, <laughs> since they obviously had to be there all set up in Bolex for each showing at each venue. Mario said Lyle had said in Condensa had confessed that he'd love the fact that the joke was so publicly static and simple-minded and dumb, and that those rare critics who defended the film by arguing at convolved length that the simple-minded stasis was precisely the film's aesthetic thesis were dead wrong, as usual. Would you pay money to see the joke? I would not like to pay money. It's theater tickets are so expensive these days. But I wouldn't get mad. I think I would think it was funny. Yeah, it's funny. I love when people do things that are different. I would pay money to see the joke. You would pay money to see the joke. You love when people do things that are different. Yeah, I, I like when you see something <laughs> and it's not what you expect. I also enjoy that. I don't know. It's I see a lot of the same stuff. It's it's cool when it's when it's not it's the same. Thing, yes, I agree. I think that's one of the, base, the basic. You know, it's very it's a very underrated thing to do. Is <laughs> do something that's not just shake different. it up. It's not usual. Yeah, just just. Uh, <laughs> Just, just, anyway, just yeah, I would. I would go. No, I would go to a um a second run theater to okay. see the joke. Nice. Uh, How long would you stay? 
34. How many? How long did I stay at that fucking uh, Sam Hyde comedy show? Uh, like 20 minutes? Yeah. 30 minutes? I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, it's still unclear whether it was the eyeball and sideshow thing or the Medusa versus dot, 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 or the joke that had metamorphosized into their late father's later involvement with the hostily anti-real genre of found drama, which was probably the historical zenith of self-consciously dumb stasis, but which audiences never actually even got to hate for a priori reasons. A priori? A priori? A priori. A priori. We get back into the headlines. Freak Statue of Liberty accident kills Fed engineer, header. <laughs> header. Brave man on crane crushed by five-ton cast iron burgers, 12-point subheader. Uh, gentle promises skeptical Cub Scout convention. You'll be able to eat right off, territorial U.S. by end of terms first year, header. <laughs> Another love canal, 24-point superheader. Toxic horror accidentally uncovered in upstate New Hampshire. That's what Quarisica looks like. How do you guys pronounce it? Quarisica. Quarisica. We what do we have on the TV right now? Uh, Some something kind of about, documentary about, about page like, six. Yeah, about gossip columnists. Okay, there he is. Uh, he's cool. He's yeah. he's a real one. Shout out to Quarisica. Yeah. Shout out to Gawker uh, in general. Yeah. Shout out to a certain kind of Gawker. Uh, New Hampshire environmental officials yesterday flatly denied that vast collections of drums leaking industrial solvents, chlorides, benzenes, and auxins had been, quote, stumbled on by 18 federal EPA staffers playing a casual game of softball east of Berlin, New Hampshire, claiming instead that the corroded receptacles had been placed there against statute by large men with white bodysuits and short haircuts in long, shiny trailer trucks with Onan's official crest, a, sombrero, a sombreroed eagle with a maple leaf in its mouth stenciled on the sides. <laughs> in the nation's capital, a, quote, full and energetic investigation has been promised by the gentle administration into claims by residents of Berlin, New Hampshire, and Rumford, Maine, that the incidence of soft-skulled and extra-eyed newborns in the toxically affected area far exceeds the national average. Uh, $3.75 U.S. nightly rental news cartridge anchor lead. <laughs> Uh, Sub Rosa fusion in poisonous environment test site alleged at Montpelier, Vermont. Uh, Scientific North American header. Hey, Vermont. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Not not a part of it's it's a part of the concavity slash convection. It's covered in trash. My baby has six eyes and basically no skull. <laughs> Lurid color, thirty-two point tabloid header. Dateline, Lancaster, New Hampshire. Uh, Fed EPA softballers allege two more poisonous waste horror fests, illegal dump sites stumbled over near North Syracuse, historic Ticonderoga, NYC Daily Header. The fine art of federal stumbling, a whole lot of softball going on, editorial header in Syracuse, New York's Post Standard. Canadian PM denies secret miniature golf outing with outraged uh, New England governors, <laughs> surprisingly small third page 10 point header. Gentle Shocker, uh, Pearl Harbor size, 32 point super, super header, almost too big to read clearly. Mayflower, Red Ball, Allied U-Haul stocks, soar, 16 point financial daily subheader. Two Northeast govs hospitalized for infarction, aneurysm, 10 point subheader. Gentle declares all U.S. territory north of line from Syracuse to Ticonderoga, New York, Ticonderoga, New York to Salem, Massachusetts, federal disasters, Offers federal federal aid for upstate and New England residents wishing to relocate. Claims funds for EPA cleanup are not within the map of what's possible. Sick. 
header from chemically over garrulous headliner eventually fired even from subheader department for exceeding verbal parameters and now starting to get in the same hot water all over again at a much less prestigious daily paper and so on and so forth. Himself's old optical editing lab has imposing compugraphic typesetting and matting facilities. It's hard to tell which of the headlines and other stuff are for real and which have been dickied with, usually if you're too young to recall the actual chronology. At least some of the headlines are phony, the kids know. Miniature golf, indeed. <laughs> but the accuracy of Mario's puppeteered account of the seminal meeting of what's uh, come to be known as the concavity cabinet gets to stand uncontested by fact. Nobody who wasn't actually there at the 16th January meeting knows just what was said, when or by whom, the gentle administration being of the position that extant Oval Office recording equipment was a veritable petri dish of organisms. <laughs> Gentle's clack of doo-wopping Motown cabinet puppets have purple dresses and matching lipstick and nail polish, and bouffants so blindingly afro-sheened that there had been special lighting and film speed problems in the custodial closet. <laughs> uh, Secretary of the Treasury... You're looking vigorous and hale today, sir. <laughs> Gentle. Ha, 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 ha. President of Mexico slash Secretary of Mexico slash VC Onan. May I ask, senor, why my distinguished co-vice chair of Onan is not with us in attendance today? Gentle. Ha, ha. Mr. Rodney Tyne, Chief U.S. Office of Unspecified Service Services. The president's taking a little pure oxygen today, boys, and has authorized me as his oral proxy on this, may I say, historically opportune day. The Canadian PM's in a bit of a snit. He prefers to whinge in the media surrounded by mounted reserves and is off somewhere far from Quebec in a Kevlar vest doing whatever the Canadian word is for pouting, doubtless pouring over opinion polls prepared by chinless guys in Canadian horn rims, uh, mechs, and some other sects. Various puzzled, apprehensive noises. <laughs> Tyne. I'm sure you've all been briefed on the unprecedented but not unopportune crisis that obtains north of the Almas' perfectly horizontal line between Buffalo and northeastern Massachusetts. Tyne arranges photos on seal-crested easels, a New Hampshire runoff dish running off stuff a color nobody's quite ever seen before, a wide-angle, horizon-stretching vista of skull-embossed drums with short-haired guys in white bodysuits walking around adjusting knobs and reading dials on shiny handheld devices, a very weird chemical sunrise <laughs> close in hue to the cabinet member's lipstick over some forests in southern Maine that looks way taller and generally lusher than January forests ought properly to be, a couple indoor-lit snapshots of a multi-eyed infant crawling backwards, its ear to the carpet, dragging its shapeless head like a sack of spuds, the last display is a real heartstring plucker. All secretaries. Various concerned and sympathetic noises. Gentle. Ha ha. <laughs> I assume like he is he on like he's holding he's oxygen like a, over yeah. his mouth. Ha ha or ha ha. Like that. Okay. Tyne. Gentlemen, let the president just say that no one's prepared to say they're quite sure what's happened or just which quote unquote loyal part of the union or organization might reasonably be said to be culpable but it's not the administration's immediate concern to point the leveling finger of blame or aspersion just yet or right now. Our concern is to act, to respond, and act and respond decisively, swiftly, and decisively. <laughs> Secretary of the Interior, we've come up with some extremely preliminary projections on the cost of detoxifying and or deradiating the better part of four U.S. states, sir, 
And I have to tell you, gentlemen, that even with the atmosphere of uncertainty at this point in time of not yet having a definitive handle on just what kinds and combinations of compounds were um, found there and how wide your, not your personally, sir, JG, you're just being a shorthand way for just say something like, I suppose, simply the, how wide the dispersal and toxicity parameters are shaping up to look. Um, I have to relate that the figures we're looking at are almost staggeringly multi-zeroed, sir, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, Tyne. Yeah, yes. Uh, so Vermont, New Hampshire, gone. We're, we're a bit uh, poisoned. Uh, uh, parts of Maine, Ma- Western Mass, mm-hmm. the good part of Mass. And part of the uh, top of New York. Top of New York. Mm-hmm. Connecticut? How's Rhode Island doing? I think they're okay. I think uh, they're Kevin. further south. It's right. been a while since I've looked at a map of America. <laughs> Do I don't I, think I, I could draw it. I would like to. I'll try to draw a map. A map, from, map of America. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you're from Vermont. You know that Connecticut's right under it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you? Wait, is it right under it? Yeah, it's like right there. I thought right? we were on top of Massachusetts. Oh yeah, you wait. You're right. And Connecticut is under Massachusetts. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. I oh, fucked no. up. Oh no. Oh <sighs> no. Put a quarter in the geography jar. Yep. Okay. Uh, Tyne, tighten in and expand on staggering, if you will, Blaine, <laughs> Secretary of the Interior. We're talking at bare minimum a staggering amount of private sector caliber guys in white suits and helmets, not unlike your own helmet, sir, <laughs> with a commensurately massive tab for the suits and helmets, plus gloves and throwaway booties and a lot of really shiny equipment with a great many knobs and dials, sir. Gentle. Uh-huh. Time. Gentlemen, let's pay the president the due tribute of proceeding right to the bone of the matter. I think the president's position is rendered patently clear by the pure oxygen he's been forced to take here with us today. No way we can possibly permit territory publicly exposed as this, as this befouled and waste impacted to continue to besmirch the already tight and tidier territory of a new era's U.S. of A. The president shudders at the mere thought. Just the mere thought of it forces him to resort to oxygen. President of Mexico, Secretary of Mexico, uh, v- VC of Onan. I do not anticipate what options your federal and our continental government might consider options to this permitting, senores. <laughs> uh, other secretaries, tentative puzzled nods and slightly off-key agreement noises. Tyne. Having been elected and conferred with a mandate on the clear and public anti-waste platform of the CUSP, the president is inexorably driven to see that the only viable option being to give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. Secretary of State. Give it away. Time. Expressly. Secretary of State. You mean simply tell the truth that Johnny's CUSB platform necessitates, given the unfeasibility of shooting national waste into space since NASA hasn't put a a successful launch on in over a decade and the rockets simply fall over and blow up and become more waste. That, given the amount of additional waste annular fusion startup is going to start putting in circulation the minute startup commences, that his platform all but necessitates the second-tier option of transforming certain vast stretches of U.S. territory into uninhabitable and probably barbed wire landfills and fly-shrouded dumps and saprogenic magenta fog toxic disposal sites, concede publicly that those EPA softball games weren't casual or pickup in the least, that you allowed Rod the God here to convince you. This takes us to end note 156. Mario's speculative puppet show comes down maybe a little hard on the implication that former OCD support group sponsor and later clean U.S. party campaign manager 
and now OUS Chief Rodney P. Tyne is the real dark force behind reconfiguration and New England's demapping and the transfer of the Great Concavity that Johnny Gentle, famous crooner, was and remains a slightly unbent but basically genial and befuddled figurehead, intent mostly to twirl his mic and immolate his epidermis so long as his office is clean, as his food's pre-tasted, and that it's actually been time behind CUSP's geopolitical anality and experialism, and that time was essentially pulling gentle strings all through the concavity cabinet and subsequent re- reconfiguration and mass relocation. This is, in point of fact, simply one theory and direction for finger-pointing and tends to founder on the unexplained issue of just what would motivate Tyne to undertake all of this anyway, since his own OCD has been documented to be ruminative, ruminative rather than hygienic, not to mention the fact that he's hopelessly smitten with the Quebecer Luria P., J.O. and Condensa's own Onantiad, being an adult production, was considerably more restrained and ambiguous on the whole Tyne as Dark Force issue. Do you want to stop there? We're at like 25 minutes. That's perfect. All right, great. Yeah. Um, the concavity. They get, so we can't launch trash into space, so we got to put it somewhere. We got to put it somewhere, and we got to get, and we gotta give, it, give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. Um, I, I, I have to admit, my mind was wandering a little bit in just the structure of what's going on yeah, here. Yeah, it's, it's tough with... Because um, we're still now deep into the Mario's description of the... Mario's description of history through his movie. Yes. So this is a... Even as we were being given this, this is a fictionalized account of, of the history through Mario's movie. Yes. But also in this segment... I guess I'm doing the infinite gist right here. Yeah. Uh, also in this segment, uh, Hal is using it as a moment of reflection against some of J.O.'s more <laughs> irritating works. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But also we're just talking about Hal's sugar <laughs> sugar addictions. He's having a Proustian moment, isn't he? He's eating a piece of baklava. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's all kind of coming together because it is, it, it is like the whole history of this zone at ETA uh, produced as a ripoff of in, in condenses work so it's yes. it's all kind of it, gangs almost all here it's mario's childish in, imitation of his father's more experimental works yeah set to the service i honestly it, this it movie it, sounds good <laughs> it honestly makes it a bit confusing yeah like especially since some of the headlines are fake like yeah. and you're but you're not sure like which ones and then you're like oh, okay i guess those yeah and then also yeah the, it's it's an interpretation of history as opposed to a historical record yeah so it makes it even more confusing yeah uh i don't know what what other themes do we <laughs> do we have in this i mean audience and uh and artist yeah is kind of the thing it's it's also i think one of the the funniest like uh, uber jokes of himself's filmography is that they're all great ideas on paper yeah. but then when you hear about what the viewing experience is like it sounds dreadfully obscure and um, uh, you know symbolic and yeah. uh, it, it sounds more like an excuse to just do like weird lens tricks than it is like any sense of uh, you know plot or actual entertainment. That Medusa movie does sound pretty good. Uh yeah, but yes and no. <laughs> like it seems like you're mostly watching audience members turn into stone and then you occasionally see like a weird reflection or of uh 
of of something else. But there's but there's kung fu choreography. choreography. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I would I would like to see it. I would like to see it. I'm trying to. And think. it's holograms. He was shooting yeah. stuff with holograms. That's kind of wild. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to come up with more stuff to discuss from this segment, but um, frankly, my mind's a uh, festival out. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel a little a uh, little brain damage. A little, yeah, a little brain damage. But I think that that is maybe where you want to be because I, I guess it does <laughs> brain damage yeah for, for this segment i mean i i am just like as he's doing a good job without having to be heavy-handed about it of like watching a movie at school that's like a school tradition and then like zoning out and having your mind wander during it you know yeah that's a good point yes um you know whenever they put on I don't, what did you have a movie that you always watch at school in middle school, it was Cool Runnings. That is a classic movie. And then the the funniest movie viewing experience I ever had was I was in symphonic band in middle school from sixth to eighth grade. But we practiced every single class. We rehearsed mm-hmm. for concerts or we learned new things or whatever. And we only got movie days one day yeah. per half of the year, mm-hmm. which is the day after the concert. We right. got to chill and we watched... Basically, thir- we watched Mr. Holland's opus in tw- <laughs> like 28 minute segments over the course of my entire middle school career. Over three years. I have never, it has never taken me that long to watch an entire movie <laughs> before or since. But the funny thing is, it was like, yep, uh, we we meet him back and, you know, he's still writing his opus. <laughs> the, the whole movie is just about how long it takes to write an opus. It takes his entire life. I have a distinct memory of being in eighth grade and on maybe like during a tornado warning or something being shown medicine man. I'm not familiar. The movie where Sean Connery plays a doctor who's working in the rainforest to find a cure for cancer, which he finds and then loses. Okay. No. Is that just, is that like jungle cruise kind of, it's not an adventure movie. It's like a, a movie about like medical research. Okay. And and the drama they're about. Um, Lorraine Bronco's in it. Lorraine Bronco. Lorraine Bronco. Lorraine Broncos. Lorraine Broncos. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much more we have on this. Um, I think we might have to shut it down so I can publish <laughs> this episode and then we can go see Devo. Yeah. Um, are we not men, Molly? My la- uh, we are we are Devo. We are Devo. My I have my last uh, four brain cells are the or Andrew WK and the members of his band. Headbanging, headbanging at each other saying when it's time to party we will always party hard the, the funniest thing i saw is i i've been keeping up with the riot fest uh subreddit because you get good tips and tricks there for various uh yeah. ha- experiential hacks and i just saw someone in like the mega thread last night be like did andrew wk seem subdued to you <laughs> and i was like where <laughs> like, he was, that was the loudest most yeah. fastest most absurd c- concert i've ever heard in my <laughs> life wk he was po- he he was posing. He was doing power poses every three seconds. It's just screaming for sixty straight minutes. He made he made us at the end countdown from ninety. <laughs> yes, to like lead up to yeah. the last song. Yeah, which I was at first I was like, this is extremely stupid. It's going to take forever. And then I, by the <laughs> by end, end I was like, like screaming nine. Hey. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, truly yeah. That's that's where my mind is at. And I that's think where next I'm, next weekend we'll be uh, uh, a little yeah. more locked in. Uh, or will we? We'll be all next weekend. We'll be in between seeing the OCs and going to a wedding. 
Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> Listen, it's time to it's time uh, to party. Hey, it, it, when it's time to, when it, when it's time to party, we will always party we'll hard. We'll always party hard. That is the Chris and Molly uh, <laughs> promise. <laughs> All right. Uh thanks for it, tuning in for this for one. Hanging. This is a very silly uh infinite cast, but yeah, we'll be back soon with more. Okay, All right. Bye, bye everybody. Bye.